Welcome to the Florida State Podcast of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, where we showcase student entrepreneurs to learn about the startups they are working on, check in with alumni to hear about the companies they are building, and learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have built amazing companies. Hosted by Mark McNeese, a serial entrepreneur who has started for-profits, non-profits, social impact companies, and is currently entrepreneur-in-residence at the Jim Rand School of Entrepreneurship. Today we have the pleasure of having Hannah King, the CEO and founder of Woven Futures, a social impact company that uses fashion as a vehicle for social change. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you. So, um, tell us a little bit about Woven Futures Mm -hmm. and uh, where the idea came from and um, just the overview of what Mm -hmm. you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Mark. I'm excited to be able to share a little bit more Woven Futures, like like you mentioned, is an ethical fashion company that links the world's most remote artisan groups to the U.S. fashion industry with a model that really keeps people first. So I'm originally from Guatemala, which is how uh, the idea came to be. But I never thought that I was going to be running a company. I was never that into fashion growing up. Um, but I'm from Guatemala, and my freshman year at FSU, I was doing an internship in the highlands of Guatemala and I met an artisan. And I was buying a few things for friends and family to come back and just being older, especially studying international affairs, I saw my country from a different lens than before. And I noticed that artisans were making beautiful things, but they were selling them at really low prices and they were having difficulty selling them. So I think I had like $70 left in my savings at that point. That's what happens when you're a freshman in college. Um, but I bought some extra items after talking to the artisans, learning a little bit more about what they do. And I had this idea that, you know, the products were so beautiful and bohemian, I thought they could sell. So that's how it started. And then I brought some items over, got involved with it, the innovation challenge at FSU, and really started validating those ideas and testing them out. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned the Innovation Challenge. For our audience, you want to tell us a little bit about the Innovation Challenge and how it helped you? Of course. Yeah, so the Innovation Challenge is, I think the whole length is about six months long. So you apply with an idea or an early stage company that you have, and the really neat thing about it is that there's an educational component. So they provide ongoing workshops regarding the different parts of your business model. So I applied for that, and through that, there were different cutoffs. So you show your traction, and what they really focus on is the learning curve. So if, they, if you're pivoting, they want to know. They don't just want to see, like, here's my company and it's a success. They want to see the entrepreneurial journey behind it, which was really unique because I was in my first company. So I was able to have that process with guidance, but also receive feedback through it. Fantastic. And then... Uh, They have a pitch at the end. Uh, Is it three pitches or two pitches? So throughout the competition, you're submitting your business model, some traction, and then semifinals is a pitch. Okay. So they flew in judges, which were alumni, different entrepreneurs, and then I think it was 15 in semifinals and seven moved on to finals. Okay. And that was another pitch. Uh, So I definitely learned how to pitch. (laughs) Was that the first time that you did a formal pitch? That was, and that since that was the early stages, that was really the beginning of, of learning what you need in a pitch and how you really present what you're doing to somebody in a compelling way. So that was the first time that I was formally pitching, not to friends and family. Okay. 
So how did you feel about it? Was it nerve wracking where um, you're like, I got this, no problem? You know, problem. you made me really nervous. I made you nervous. <laughs> so you, I remember you were a judge, um, but because you have all these entrepreneur, entrepreneurs and you're thinking, you know, they're big shots, they know what they're doing. Like, what if I look like I don't know what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. So I remember being nervous, but I had a good mentor who actually started Unhoused Humanity and he, he competed the year before. And he told me, before you go out on pitch, close your eyes and think of why are you doing this, the real purpose behind it, because that, that helps you get in your element um, and be confident in yourself. So along the way, I learned tips and tricks for me to feel you know, more myself and not like I was on display in a sense, more of a conversation, but I was definitely nervous at the beginning. Okay, but all the judges were nice, right? <laughs> Everyone was really nice. I'm no longer scared of you, we're good. <laughs> all right, very cool. So, so uh, at the Jim Moran School, we talk about value propositions mm -hmm. for our audience. Essentially, a value proposition mm -hmm. is uh, really why would a customer buy your product or service versus another product mm -hmm. or service? So when you think about woven futures, mm -hmm. what are what is the value proposition? Yeah. Uh, why would somebody buy one of your products mm -hmm. versus somebody else's? Right. Well, we have a few different value propositions, and it's something that took us. You know, we're still exploring. You always mm -hmm. have to see how to increase your value. But really, all our products. What's most unique about them is the way that they're made and the fact that you are connected to the person who made your product, so there's a human element to it, and that's something that not every brand has. And another element to our products is that they're made extremely sustainably. So they're friendly to people and to the environment. Everything's made with natural dyes. We use plants for the actual colors, natural materials, and it's all hand-woven. So there's a, you know, there's a very unique look and element and feel to it as compared if you go by something that's mass produced, right? The quality, first of all, the impact, and then how it makes you feel as a consumer, knowing that you're buying something that is, you know, shaping the future of somebody else. All right, great. So uh, in social entrepreneurship, we talk about double and triple bottom right. lines. Mm -hmm. And uh, for audience, again, a double uh, or triple bottom line is essentially every company has to make their first bottom line, mm -hmm. which is financial. And uh, what social entrepreneurs, they like to add a second and a third bottom line, which is uh, either uh, social or environmental or both, which would be the triple bottom line. So when you think about woven futures, would you say you have a double bottom line or a triple bottom line? I would say that, you know, we're always striving for that triple bottom line. And again, you have to be very intentional on how you do that. So again, with our financials, we pay a fair trade for artisans, which is really the soul of what we do, is bringing dignity to the fashion industry. So, you know, we mark that off in a sense with mm -hmm. our fair trade. And then the environmental aspect is being reducing our waste and our, our footprint on the environment. So using those natural materials, plant-based dyes, uh, eliminating any kind of chemicals from anything that we do. So that would be the second um, line. However, we want to eventually use recycled fabrics instead of cotton, right? So we're still striving to make that even better. And then our third, which is a social component, is offering skill development training and different resources for artisans so that not only are they getting paid a fair, a fair wage for their products, 
they're also learning how to refine their craft and grow themselves and their communities. And that's one thing that I see a lot of social entrepreneurs, a mistake that they make is they try to do too much too soon mm -hmm. and they let the perfect get in the way of the good. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad to hear like you have, you know, systematically you're thinking about how, how can we increase our positive uh, impact. Right. And we didn't start with, you know, all three. When we started, the main reason that we started was because artisans weren't getting paid enough, right? right? So we were focusing on that financial tier. And then as we got to know artisans more and the culture and the needs, we started adding those different components. But I would say focus is important because there were definitely times that I tried to do too much and then I didn't really accomplish as much. Yeah, I, I've seen so many social enterprises essentially stall out because mm -hmm. they've tried to do too much too soon. And, it, and, you know, for social entrepreneurs, the drive is to do good, right? right. So you want to do maximum <laughs> good. And we talk about in social entrepreneurship, though, you can't get to the second or third bottom line if you don't meet your first bottom mm -hmm. line because people need to get paid. You know, you got to pay your insurance. You got to do all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I think that we also are just in a society where we want things quick. So right. we want to implement and grow fast. And one thing that I realized with Woven is that I'm trying, you know, when I started thinking about, okay, what is my true vision? Where do I see myself in 20, 30, 50, you know, 50 years? And I want to build a company that outlasts me. So our approach is very different, and I may not see all the results in my first five right. years. It might take 15 till I really see something coming into fruition. So I've had to change the way that I approach my business, um, you know, even though that's how society really thinks. It's just quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so when you think about impact and you mm. think about uh, uh, the different things that Woven Futures um, does, how do you measure impact? What are you really mm. trying to accomplish and how are you doing in that? That's a good question. That's something that we've been asking ourselves or still always asking ourselves. And there's, we have some you know, analytical ways that we measure impact, uh, which is the amount of income that we're reinvesting into these these artisans through our partnerships. So one thing that at the beginning when we started Woven we wanted to ensure is that we had long-term partnerships because if you do one order with an artisan group but you don't keep that consistent that's a one-time influx mm -hmm. of of income but it's not really sustainable so the sustainability element of being able to do orders with artisans you know it started every six months we could do an order now it's closer to every two months we do a bigger order right so that sustainability and how long we partner with artisans and then the other element of impact which you wouldn't really think about is how their skills are developing because there's some artisans that haven't had formal training this is a tradition that's passed down but to make products that can sell at an international scale, you need some design teaching. Mm -hmm. So we come in and, and offer those courses. So if we see our artisans improving their craft, that's a way that we measure impact. We have some human stories that, that we collect, so that's more of a um, story-based impact. And then, again, how many artisans we're able to partner with and how many connections and purchases we're able to get as well. So you said collecting stories mm -hmm. and of people that you've worked with mm -hmm. is does does one artisan 
pop out to you that, that you've been able to have a positive impact in their life? Yeah, I have a few stories, but I think um, a really unique one is an artisan named Candy. Her name's Margarita, but she goes by Candy. And I remember that my sister and I were actually living in this small village um, last summer, and we we saw a sign for a little cafe. And there's not there's not restaurants in this village. You have to take a boat to the mainland. That's about 15 minutes away. So we we're like, let's go find this cafe. And we see a, a small house, you know, with a dirt floor and some tables. And it's Candy's cafe and her family. Their family is nine, actually. So we start talking and we see that they're selling some woven things, but the quality is not all there, right? So we start talking to them, we tell them what we do with woven, and she tells us that she actually went to school and had a job as a secretary, but she got laid off because the school closed and that she's been looking for work for, you know, a year and they're running this cafe, but there's not a lot of traffic. So I remember that we looked up do-it-yourself videos on how to make pom-poms and tassels, mm -hmm. and we told them, well, you know, me and my sister talked about it, these women have so much initiative, but their skill isn't completely refined that we could have them make like a beautiful rug, right? So we started looking at smaller items that we could have them make so while they refine their craft, they can still get a source of income but improve their craft so that eventually they can make bigger products that can sell for more, that can bring more impact to them. So I remember that we looked up this DIY video. Me and my sister tried to make a pom-pom, we failed. <laughs> um, and they. They picked it up so fast. So now, that was really the beginning of our artisan development program because we saw that need in the more remote areas. So now Candy and her, her mother make all our tassels for keychains, for the, the tassels that come with our market totes. So we were finding creative ways to involve them in Woven. And she, since she studied to be a secretary, she's very good within organization. So now she is our artisan coordinator. So she knows all the other artisans. She'll go pick up textiles from one artisan group and drop them off to our leather workers and then pick them up when they're ready and take them to the exporter. So, you know, Candy really stands out to me because I've seen how the difference that it's made for her to have work. Um, so there's, there's a lot of other stories, but I think that no, Candy speaks to the, to the heart of what we do. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so, as, as you've uh, been going, creating, building uh, this company, uh, what has been some of the biggest, or what is the biggest surprise uh, to you? You know, you had this idea, mm -hmm. right? And now it's a real life, you know, company. It's right. real. Has there been anything that you're just like, wow, I didn't see that coming? <laughs> well, there's been a lot of unexpected things, and I would say that, you know, when you start something, especially a, a little bit naive, right, you're excited, it's all about passion, and I've had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I went to school and majored in marketing or sales, you know, I was studying international affairs, and then I had to learn, I had, to, you have to be proficient in everything, but you're never really fluent in one thing. Mm -hmm. So I think just learning how to manage all these things that come at you. And you know, I had to figure out how to export and Guatemala doesn't have a postal system. So I had to find like a third party exporter and just problem solving. You don't realize how important that skill is till you have all these things that you have to figure out and you don't know how. Right. So I think that the amount of work that it takes surprised me. Uh, and I remember maybe like six months ago, 
I just thought to myself, like, wow, Hannah, you're really in deep. At this point, like, you put your head down and you're working because it's, it's like a 10-year strategy, right? right. Um, so I think I w when I started, I wasn't necessarily thinking like, oh, this is going to be a 20-year path for me. Right. I was thinking this could work really fast and it could be great. You know, but I've taught myself that you have to slow down. Okay. Um, what's been one of the biggest challenges uh, that you've faced in building this company? So I, I think that as a student entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges has been, you know, I started this when I was 19, mm -hmm. and growing up and, you know, figuring out who you are and what you want to do and dealing with the other challenges that come as a 20-year-old, right? right, while trying to be responsible and grow a company, uh, that's been a challenge because it's woven has very much shaped who I am, and it, but it's forced me to um, sacrifice certain things, even if it's social outings, especially with that first year that I began was so intensive that I wasn't hanging out with friends as much and I wasn't, you know, I stopped my involvement in a student organization because I was just being torn from so many different places. So managing my time and really aligning myself with my company was an area that was a little bit challenging and now I feel like I'm one with Woven, <laughs> right? But it takes a little bit to figure out what you're doing and then really commit to that. And there's been a lot of other challenges, figuring, again, the exporting, the sales. Yeah. Marketing and sales are not my strong suit, right? I love the storytelling. I love the product development. That surprises me because you, your, your social media presence is fantastic. But see, I've had to teach myself. So that's one thing that I struggle with. But I know that I have to learn, especially if I'm going to hire someone to run it. If I can't tell them my vision and how we already execute, mm -hmm. I'm setting them up for failure, not success. So you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone a lot. And I think that's the biggest thing. With how, how many artisans and like how many people are, are you working that's with in some me. capacity? Mm -hmm. So we have a collective of over 100 artisans. Okay. We have some artisan cooperatives that focus solely on our textiles. So when you see our bag, they create the textile pieces, right? Then we, we, so <laughs> <can> see. Then <laughs> we have our leather artisans who receive the textile and finish the product, right? So there's, it's a whole supply chain. So we have about 20 leather artisans, we have about 40 textile artisans, and then we have Again, Candy and her family are making our smaller accessories that are actually sold at Red Eye. Um, so we have anywhere from 12 people to 100 working at a time, but typically it's a median number. We have some ceramic artisans as well. But it's, it's incredible how many people are out there, and they each have their niche of what they do. Very cool. And uh, just, just so you know, uh, Red Eye is Red Eye Coffee. It's one of the companies that I founded and, and built. And one of the things that we like to do is partner with entrepreneurs to give them shelf space uh, so they can go to market. So uh, Hannah has been a part, we've been one of our strategic mm -hmm. partners for several years now, right? Two years now, I think. So, okay, cool. Um, so startups, all startups at some point come to a point where they're 
where something that they thought would work mm -hmm. is just not working, mm -hmm. right? And and what we say, you know, you have to pivot, right? Right. Um, which is a nice way of saying I called it wrong, <laughs> right? I made a bad decision, yeah. but you know, we pivot, and so what you know. From the start to like now, has mm -hmm. there been a major pivot in, in how you think about your business? Yes, uh, I would say our products. So the interesting thing about the artisan industry is that they're making these textiles that are traditional to, to their designs and their culture. And when we began, we were buying the products directly from them selling them on our end, but every product was different. And again, we weren't doing this development work yet. So the quality wasn't always there. And it was very difficult to have brand consistency and focus when our products were kind of everywhere. So, and that's something that, again, product development isn't my strong suit. So once I learned enough about it and I brought someone in to work with product design, then we started refining you know, our mission of what do, what do we want our products to be, to feel like, to, to make our customers, you know, what, what are they making them feel? And once we really started focusing on like the identity of that product, it changed everything because now our brand ties directly to what that product looks like. It's very, it's, it still implements a traditional textile, but in a modern simplistic way, which speaks to our brand. And once you know what your brand is, your messaging is clear, your sales are clear, everything else is clear. So at the beginning, I was trying to manage everything. And since my specialty wasn't design, I could only go so far with what we were doing. And once I, once you learn what you don't know, it's a beautiful thing, because then someone that knows that can come in and work with you. So once, my sister actually, she's our head of design, and she has a, a good affinity for design and details. Now we work together in that element, and it's allowed us to grow so much more. But we definitely, we had to, you know, be real with ourselves or be real with myself and be like, this isn't working. This product isn't, like, the true vision. Right. And how do we make it special? You know, how do we take artisans one step further? Outstanding. So, um, you talked about uh, one channel of mm -hmm. being in a brick-and-mortar, partnering mm -hmm. with companies like Red Eye. How... What are some of the channels that you use to get your get the product uh, to the consumer? Mm -hmm. Well, when we first began Woven, we went to farmers markets, pop-up shops, to really be able to talk to those customers and see what people liked. You know, which product they they tended to like be drawn to. So we used that at first, and then again the boutiques with with Red Eye have been great. But we sell primarily online. Okay. And what I like about that is that you can go look at our collection, but you can easily look at the artisan who made it and see a video about the creation process. So it kind of ties customers into the product that they're looking at. So we're using e-commerce, um, different retail, and we want to begin a white labeling branch where we can co-design with other brands oh. to do collections. Fan so that's kind of vision. <laughs> Uh, and just a technical question, are you using Shopify or what are, what are you so using right, as a platform? Good question. Right now we use Squarespace. Okay. I really like it because on the, the back end for design, it's so user-friendly. But everybody else that I know, I have a lot of friends that are also doing e-commerce, and they all are saying that Shopify is the way to go. So when our year lease ends, we might switch over to Shopify. But right now... 
Squarespace is really good. Okay, so would you say 90% of your business is online or 70%? What's kind of the, what's your mix? I would say probably close to 75 is online, 30% okay. in stores. Eventually, we'd really like that to be, you know, about 60% online, 40% retail okay. and manufacturing. All right, fantastic. And if people wanted to check out Woven Futures, uh, what's your URL? <laughs> so it's easy. It's wovenfutures.com. And then on Instagram, it's wovenfutures, and as well on Facebook. And the cool thing about Instagram is that we share all kinds of stories where you can see the artisans weaving. And we have a, a Woven wo Woman brand ambassador program where women who can relate to our cause get involved with us. So it's more of a community element on social media. And our website is great because you can look at all our products and our story. And we have a, a blog that we're putting out now, too. Fantastic. And, you know, I, and I mentioned that I follow you on or Woman Futures on uh, on Instagram mm -hmm. and the colors are just so amazing. It just pops. So I would highly recommend that you follow Woven Futures. Um, so. So what's next? You're talking about this, you know, yeah. grandiose 10, 20 mm -hmm. year plan. So uh, what what do we have to look forward to? What are we going to uh, see in, in, in the far future? What's yeah, well, your, your this, big, hairy, audacious goal? I love this question. So we actually, this week we launched our Woven Woman Ambassador Program. Okay. And that is going to speak to having a community of wo women because we want to empower you know, the women that make our products, but the women that purchase them. So the Woven Woman Ambassador Program allows women to get involved with being models for our, our shoots, helping name our products, helping even have a say in the design process, right? So really tying in our consumers with our, our purpose and our, our company. And then we're actually launching Woven Tours Ooh. this year. So. It's woven retreats that give you the opportunity to travel with like-minded people that have a focus on sustainability as well and have workshops with the artisans where they teach you how to dye the different threads and you can weave your own scarf so that it makes it even more real. And then we'll also have different elements on those tours um, where we have yoga and meditation um, and a farm-to-table setting for food so that you can also kind of reset yourself and it's in Lake Atitlan, which I know you've been. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It feels like a little pocket of paradise. So we're launching those this summer. And then we'll have openings for some dates throughout the year. But hopefully, uh, if they go well, we'll keep doing more as well. We'll have to do a follow-up podcast <laughs> on site. <laughs> on how it goes. <laughs> uh, so we have those. And then we do want to expand our manufacturing. We want to be able to get into into larger retail stores to be able to white label designs for companies that do a great job at marketing and the design, but they may not have those supply chains. Um, so long term, we really want to have a global presence and then a retail presence across all of the U.S., even Europe, and eventually begin expanding to different countries so we can have different collections, you know, a collection from Ghana, a, a rug collection from Mexico, because they specialize in that. That way we can highlight artisans around the world mm -hmm. um, and their specific cultures. That is so cool. Well, um, thank you, Hannah. Of this course. is Hannah King, um, founder and CEO of Woven Futures. Again, highly recommend that you 
follow them on Instagram and then go check out wovenfutures.com. Thank you for joining the Florida State Podcast of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. If you would like to be notified of new episodes, please subscribe via your favorite player. Also, if you like the podcast, please take the time to share it on social media, give it a five-star rating, and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you enjoy your podcasts. This will help us get the word out to other entrepreneurs that the FSU Entrepreneurship Podcast has been launched.